Welcome to the Fight for Grade Level Reading. I'm Brian Reese. Today, Kim Doliato and I talk to Dr. Depesh Navsaria about Reach Out and Read. Kim works with me here at the Sarasota Herald Tribune, writing a regular column that's similar to this podcast. She talks to researchers about some of the latest studies related to grade level reading and interviews program leads about what's working around the country. You can find her columns at heraldtribune.com slash fight for GLR. Joining us today is Dr. Depesh Navsaria. He's a pediatrician and associate professor of pediatrics at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health. He's also the founding medical director of Reach Out and Read Wisconsin. So, doctor, can you tell us a little bit about what Reach Out and Read is? Yes, certainly, and thank you for having me here. Reach Out and Read is a program that's almost 30 years old. What happened was that pediatricians were recognizing that families um, often weren't reading to their young children. They didn't know they should do it, uh, and they didn't know how to necessarily do it effectively. Uh, It's not an automatic thing. So they said, why don't we give families books and why don't we use the book as a tool right there in their regular checkup to be able to talk about reading and to model, coach, and encourage families to use high-quality uh, uh, reading approaches. And uh, that's really the, the heart of Read, Chat, and Read. People think of it as a literacy program, which it is, but really we're secretly a parenting program. Right. I love that about it. I mean, it, I think people, like you said, see it as a book giveaway. But you're, you're doing so much more than that. I mean, you're actually working with parents. And what are the outcomes when you've done this? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and, I, and I will just say that the, yeah, the book giveaway, if that was all we did, it probably wouldn't be that effective. Uh, because if the book is just simply put on a shelf at home or, or whatever, then uh, the parents don't know what to do with it, then that doesn't help them much. The results we've seen is really dramatic increases in parents reporting at later visits that they are reading together with their children. Um, We see in families that are living in poverty, we've seen increases in language scores. Uh, And families are just, in general, more likely to report shared book reading as something that they enjoy doing together. And when we know that those sorts of interactions are happening, whether it's around just talking or playing or singing or book reading, there's huge amounts of evidence showing that that is the single strongest driver of child development, better than anything else. What I was amazed by is the the spread of Reach Out and Read. You're reaching over four and a half, four point seven million families, but you're reaching something like a quarter of all low-income families in the country. Did I read that right? Uh, I believe that's about right. It varies from state to state, but on a national basis, yeah. And and what's really amazing is that we're using an, a really efficient existing delivery network. You know, we don't actually pay doctors to do this. Um, it's and and, and as, a, as a practicing pediatrician, I can tell you, we're not looking for work. We're we have all <laughs> sorts of things on our plate. Yet, when people hear about reach out and read and they recognize what the power it has, they say, yes, I want this in my clinic. So they're, they're asking for this because they, they see the benefit that it has. So bringing it into a practice might require more time, perhaps a little more training of staff. 
So what would you say is in it for them? How do you, how do you sell it, if you will, to a, to mm-hmm. a practice? So I'll say a couple of things. One is that it doesn't require any additional staff, and the investment of time is actually pretty small. Um, there's some money that needs to be found to actually purchase the books, which are deeply, deeply discounted. But it's it's not a huge lift in that way. Still, as I said, there's plenty of other things we have going on, so why why would someone do this? My My sales pitch, so to speak, is I don't come in and talk about Reach Out and Read, at least not initially. I come in and talk about what I see and they see, because we, we all do, you know, primary care pediatrics. Um, and this, by the way, holds true for family medicine as well. We, we, we're talking about anyone who does primary care for children here. We talk about the issues of school failure. We talk about children that are struggling. We talk about families that um, struggle with, with adversity and really lay out what the brain science tells us, uh, what the long-term outcomes are, really to kind of say, we get it. We understand the, the issues you're seeing because I see it too. And then I say, here's a, a solution that doesn't, it's not going to magically fix everything, but it's something you can do within your wheelhouse, within your area of expertise, which is these regular checkups, you know, thinking about the health and well-being of children. And then I think it makes it easier because it's, it's, it's hard for, I think, a, a, a clinical person to say, oh, I'm going to go and change policy or I'm going to go and work on health care financing or, or housing or whatever the case may be. But to say, look, you can do this in the existing checkups that you do. Oh, I can do that. You know, and then it's 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 easy. We have, we actually had people. I, I did a I did a talk once where um, we did the talk, and then it was lunchtime, and everyone was scurrying off to go see their afternoon patients. One doc came back and said, "Do we have the books yet? Because my first one is a checkup, and after hearing that talk, I feel bad for walking in there without a book." <laughs> so yeah, well, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you're basically pitching it to doctors as another way to affect the health and the well-being of their patients, which is something they're definitely focused on already. Mm-hmm. And we do have a, a wonderful online um, training module that we do require, that providers do. It offers continuing medical education credit. It's free to them to take, and it trains them in how to do this and how to do it well. How does the funding usually come about? Is it usually coming from the practices or the clinics themselves, or is it outside philanthropy that funds these? How does it usually work? Yeah, so the, the joke we have is that if you've seen one Reach Out and Read program's funding, you've seen one Reach Out and Read program's <laughs> funding. It, it really goes all over the place. Um, uh, some clinics write it into their operating budget. They say, look, this is uh, recommended by the American Academy of Pediatrics as a, as a necessary standard of practice. Why, why, would, why wouldn't we pay for it? You know, just the same way we don't we don't make people hold bake sales for syringes and immunizations. This is this is the cost of, of providing high quality care. Uh, other places do bake sales and fundraisers and, and things like that. Um, others apply for grants, uh, work with local philanthropic organizations, and and so on. Um, it all depends on the setting. Gotcha, doctor. What do you wish more parents knew about their little one and the power of 
of reading to them and how to how to do that to get the most benefit? I wish parents knew that they are the single most important factor in their child's development and that it's interacting with them and other loving caregivers that will make their child's brain develop in those first three years of life. There is no DVD, TV program, app, or anything like that that is going to do anything positive. There's zero research evidence for any of that. And I think there's a lot of marketing aimed at parents that that implies that if you put your child in front of this tablet, it's, you know, at a young age, that it's going to get them ahead and make a difference. And the reality is it's going to pull them away from the interaction that does make a difference. As one of my colleagues says, there is no app to replace your lap. (laughs) That's sweet, of course. What are the plans for Reach Out Read in the future? I mean, I know that you guys are already huge, but you can expand even further. Are there any other plans to change or to add on to what Reach Out and Read does? So there's, there's plenty of kids we're not reaching yet. And we we need to, I think, get to just about every um, uh, primary care practice out there. Uh, you know, so that's, that's, that's an ambitious goal um, to, 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 to do at least that. You know, there's states that have fairly good Reach Out and Read affiliates like Wisconsin, um, Colorado, New York, the Carolinas, you know, Georgia, you know, others that I could name, Minnesota, Oklahoma. But uh, there's some states where the affiliates aren't well-funded through their local efforts, or there's states where we don't have affiliates. So we want to make sure that every Reach Out and Read clinic has a local state or or metropolitan area affiliate that can provide support and training and guidance and all those sorts of things. I think if we got to that goal of covering virtually all kids in the primary care setting, we would probably think about, okay, what about kids that are a little older and what about um, prenatally? You know, uh, we'd like to start this messaging during pregnancy if we if we can. That's not something that we've we've gone we haven't gone there yet. Now, certainly, if someone wants to, that's absolutely fine, right? We we, we have an OBGYN. In fact, I know a couple of OBGYNs who incorporate literacy advice into their prenatal visits, and we're happy to have them do it. We just don't have a formal program to do it because we have all we can handle with the work that we already have. Speaking ages, what is the the range of ages that Reach Out and Read targets? Is there like a cutoff age or? Yeah, it's birth birth to age five. The feeling is that after age five, they're in school and school should be handling their their encouragement to read and all that. Uh, we started at six months under the original model, and that's still when we start handing out the books. But in the last few years, we've moved to really having some of the conversation about literacy start from birth to kind of get that get that started uh, there, because the evidence is clear that the learning starts from birth. Do you have any particular stories of your personal interaction and using Reach Out and Read in your own practices? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some some wonderfully affirming interactions that I've had and, and, and wonderfully telling interactions as well. You know, frequently I would ask at like a toddler visit, you know, 15 months of age or so uh, about 
daily reading. You know, how often do you get a chance to share books with your child? And parents would say to me, oh, we read every day. And I say, oh, that's wonderful. And they say, yes, we do it because you told us to. <laughs> right? Like, so you, you, you know that it paid off. Uh, you know, so that, that's that been great. One of the most powerful interactions I had was almost 10 years ago. We have a Reach Out and Read implementation in our one of our shelter-free clinics here in Madison. And I, this mom brought in her six-month-old and just wanting him checked over. They hadn't been to the doctor in a while because of being homeless and all. And I held out a, a board book, which has these beautiful pictures of baby faces and, and infants fixate on, on images of faces. Yeah. And uh, they, um, the, you know, they'll, they'll just watch and look and all that. So I held out this book, and the baby was just looking right at the faces. And I said, oh, look, he's loving looking at that book. And this mom, remember, she's in a homeless shelter. She looks down at her baby looks up at me and looks back down at her baby and in this voice of astonishment says, oh, my baby's smart. <laughs> right? It just was so affirming for her. You know, in this, in the middle of all this adversity and, mm-hmm. you know, all these travails they've gone through, um, it, it gave, them a, gave her a ray of hope that maybe her child's future could be different. Right. Yeah. Do you still write prescriptions for books? Yeah, I, I still do. Um, <laughs> we uh, we have these pre-printed share books together prescriptions, and um, I I give these out because I think it, this is how much I mean this. Like right. as much as I would tell tell you, take that antibiotic, you know, uh, take this other medicine. Like it's really important. Do this, and uh, it's a great visual and it's a great reminder. Well, doctor, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your personal stories and all we need to know about this wonderful program reach out and read you're welcome thank you for having me join you and for for being so um uh, supportive of reach out and read and and uh, asking these excellent questions it's uh it's an amazing program it's not the solution to everything but wow it's it's very cost effective very efficient and we have great evidence backing up how well it works it's another brick in the foundation Exactly. Thank you again, Doctor. Thank you. Next week, we'll be talking to Elizabeth Burak. She's a senior fellow at Georgetown University's McCourt School of Public Policy's Center for Children and Families, where she focuses on public policy about children's access to health care. Now, a final thought. Maternal depression and mental health issues are prevalent, with 20 to 30 percent of mothers meeting the criteria for a diagnosable depressive disorder and 40 to 60 percent with depressive symptoms. If left untreated, that can have serious impact on their children, slowing development or even resulting in adverse childhood experiences. Problem is, social stigma, a lack of insurance coverage, and other factors are serious roadblocks to getting treatment. Dr. Megan Smith knew she had to offer a different way to reach women in need. She's an associate professor at the Yale School of Medicine and director of Mental Health Outreach for Mothers, also known as MOMS. Dr. Smith told us that the program was born out of failure. Mothers were getting screened for maternal depression, but weren't engaging in mental health care. That's why Moms reaches out to women in familiar settings, using other moms as ambassadors to spread the word. Meetings are held in grocery stores, libraries, and community centers, free of charge. So far, more than 3,000 women have been helped through the program, but Moms plans to more than triple that number over the next few years. 
Dr. Smith said, We know that with high-quality treatment for depression, mothers get better and children do better. We know when mothers are mentally healthy, children are too. That's why we need to make mental health care more available, affordable, and accessible. Here's your homework. If you work with kids or parents, take a look at how you're delivering your services. Do they have to seek you out, or does your outreach find them in places they frequent? Do you deliver your services where and when it is convenient to your program, or do you make it convenient for your clients? And don't forget, we want to hear from you about your experiences in the fight for grade-level reading. You can email us at fightforglr at heraldtribune.com, connect on Facebook at facebook.com slash fightforglr, or you can call us at 941-361-4820. Even better, use your phone to record a voice memo and email it to us. We might play those messages on upcoming episodes of the podcast. Talk to you next week. <laughs>